Welcome back, everyone, to the Comic-Con Podcast. I am your host, Milton the Manimal, and I am here solo tonight. My co-host, Justin, a.k.a. Nemesis Prime, is a little under the weather, had some uh, back injuries, so couldn't join me tonight. So it's just me. That's all you got. So you're probably going to hear me talking a lot tonight. Obviously, I got no guests. It's just all Manimal all night which kind of sounds like a porno theme, but hey, what can you do? Anyway, we're here, episode 41. Probably going to be a little bit shorter because I can only talk for so long just by myself. Um, but happy to be here. Always happy to talk comics and rant on and on and on. But first, we're going to start off with a question we have from the community. So usually, you know, I would save this necessarily for Justin to come back so we could both tackle this question and we'll probably do it when he comes back, let him speak on it as well. But since I got a lack of things really to kind of talk about here tonight by myself, I'm going to go ahead and answer this one. So this is from our good friend, Nate, Trial by Gods. Kind of a basic question here, but he asks, he says, I wanted to touch base and see if you guys insure your collection or maybe higher end books. Is there a specific product or carrier you can recommend? Thanks for the help. So this is actually a really, really good question. Um, it's something I've been thinking about and you know, considering a lot recently. I do have some higher end books, some ones that are very, very valuable. Um, I have X Men number one, nine or six point Kind of wish I had a nine point So that's a pretty expensive book, and I do not have any insurance on it. Um, I know there's definitely some collectible insurance companies out there that do kind of um, deal with you know collectibles, obviously comics as well. You can also go through your homeowner's insurance. So I believe that is the route I will eventually take myself is just go through my homeowners and you know value your books and price them accordingly and do it that way. But I know we've talked about this. I'm not super, super savvy on uh, what options are out there. And, you know, if, if some of you do know, please email us at the Comic Con Podcast at gmail.com and give us some suggestions. That way we can put it out there for the community and people can have some options. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't really know. I do, I do know that if something were to happen to my house, let's say there's a fire, the first thing, once my wife and my dog were out, the first thing I would go for is immediately run to my comic book room, scoop up my box of slabs and run the shit out of my house real fast. So that's kind of my insurance policy, I guess. Um, that's probably not the smartest insurance policy to have out there. And I don't suggest that is what you do by any means. So Look into your homeowner's insurance. Um, uh, other than that, I don't have any specific information. So we'll answer this question again next week, uh, Nate. See if Justin has any suggestions as well on that. And hopefully some of you will uh, send us some emails and let us know some options as well. Because it is a very important question for your collection. You know, A lot of people are really going for those grails. And uh, you want to protect them. You you want to make sure you have the value of those books if something were to happen for them, happen to them. So that's the quick and dirty on the community question that we have today. So a couple of things we're going to talk about. Um, we had a lot of stuff that happened this week. Obviously, we had DC fandom, and I'm sure Justin and I will talk about this a little bit more as things go on. But I definitely want to touch on DC fandom going to talk about my opinion on Venom number two, and I got some uh, comic book news here as well. So let's start with DC fandom stuff. So 
obviously we had DC fandom. Uh, a lot of things came out. Um, to be honest, I'm really more of the the kind of the mainstream stuff. The anime stuff didn't really appeal to me too much. But um, I'm just going to kind of give you my opinions and my thoughts on the trailers that came out. And I'm going to rank them actually in terms of or talk about them in terms of most exciting to or I'm sorry, least exciting to most exciting. So the movie that I'm least excited about is The Flash. Okay, so we saw the Flash trailer and um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that, but I kind of want to talk about why I'm not crazy about the Flash character. So. I'm sure I've touched on this a little bit before when we spoke on Justice League and Zack Snyder's Justice League. So the Joss Whedon Justice League, I could not stand the Flash character at all. Flash has always been one of my favorite DC characters. Um, even as a kid, him being able to run fast, it was always massively appealing to me and super excited to see live action Flash. I was a big, big fan of Flash on CW. I think Grant Gustin is an amazing Flash. Um, I watched that for a very long time. Then I kind of fell out of the CW shows, but that's not to say that Grant Gustin in the Flash show was definitely the best aspect of uh, the Arrowverse, if you will, the DC shows on the CW. So I'm a massive, massive Flash fan. So when he comes to the Justice League, you know, and I'm always... First off, Ezra Miller being casted was one of those out of left field kind of castings for a character. He doesn't look like a Barry Allen. Um, he'd been in a few things, nothing huge. He wasn't a super well-known name. And that's never been something that has bothered me, to be honest, um, about castings. And I'll talk about that a little bit later as well in reference to another trailer. But ever since The Dark Knight, with the casting of Heath Ledger as the Joker, I really gave that up. Okay. So I was probably in agreement with most everyone when Heath Ledger got cast as a Joker. I was like, wow, this is, this is weird. I don't know about this. This guy just came out of Brokeback Mountain and now you're going to cast him as the Joker. We've never seen him necessarily in any kind of a role like this. And the Christian Bale, Christopher Nolan, Batman movies or Batman begins at that time was so awesome that, you know, I was nervous. I was nervous about the Joker. We all know how that turned out. Heath Ledger is amazing. I don't care what anyone says. Joaquin Phoenix can't hold a candle to the Heath Ledger Joker. He's the best Joker of all time. Jack Nicholson doesn't even rank, in my opinion. I think Heath Ledger is the best. Not only do I think he's the best Joker, but he also really gave me the mindset of like, hey, let's these kind of out-of-nowhere castings, they actually might turn out better than you think. we got to give it a chance here. So... Ezra Miller cast as a Flash, you know, initially, obviously, the the physical appeal wasn't really there for me in terms of the Flash character. You know, Flash is always kind of like, I don't know, almost like a blondish, light-haired guy. And Ezra Miller's dark hair, dark-complected, and it just didn't look like Barry Allen to me. So then we see the Joss Whedon version of justice league and barry allen is very much used as the kind of the, the comedic foil to the movie and i couldn't stand his character i just he was bumbling he was running around falling down tripping everywhere anything he did was just annoying to me and i couldn't stand it i mean i didn't hate justice league when it came out the first version the joss whedon version but I hated the Flash. I just couldn't stand it. And I was like, God, I, I couldn't be less interested in a Flash solo movie. And at the time, that was actually one of the first like greenlit 
solo movies from the characters of the Justice League. So I hated it forever and ever, okay, until we saw the Zack Snyder version of Justice League. And in that, it was it was better. I'm still not crazy about Ezra Miller as the Flash, but his character had a better storyline. He was more fleshed out. They had taken out some of the campy, comedic aspects of the character and definitely was better, probably light years better than the Joss Whedon version. You know, I, I, I enjoyed his character a lot more. He had more development. There was more to him. And so I was like, okay, now I'm pretty excited for this Flash movie. Like I'm willing to see how it goes and go into it with an open mind. But honestly, I don't, I, I don't think his version of the Flash carries enough weight for a solo movie. And the reason I say that is because look at the, what they've done with his movie. They really had to kind of flesh it out with other characters because he couldn't just do it on his own, which I find like crazy to me that you can't do a solo Flash movie. I mean, the Flash is one of the mainstay DC heroes. He's integral in almost every storyline in the DC universe. And to not be able to like have him have his own solo movie by himself, I, it's it's wild to me. I, I'm not sure I'm crazy about the idea of bringing in like you know Michael Keaton Batman. Let me pause that. Actually, I think it's really cool this like alternate multiverse, you know, uh, Batman Michael Keaton Batman from the original Batman stuff. But it, you know, it, it takes away from I feel like the Flash, and I feel like they brought him in because they didn't have faith in Ezra Miller's Flash being able to carry the movie. And then obviously they're bringing in a version of Supergirl as well. So I don't know. I mean, it looked cool. We didn't get to see as much of it as I as I wanted to. There was very much um, in the trailer, like, you know, hints of the Michael Keaton Batman. We didn't actually get to see him full on in costume. I, I'd have to watch it again and you might crucify me here, but I don't remember seeing any Supergirl in that, uh, in the trailer as well. It was a lot of, you know, just the flash kind of making comments and being surprised would pull the sheet off of what, you know, was probably going to be the Batmobile. Um, we also saw like two or three versions of the flash all meeting up, which is cool. I honestly am happy and excited to see, um, you know, kind of the time travel, uh, version of the flash at the same time. It looked like we're getting the same story. We always get with the flash, which is race back in time to save his mother. Okay. Obviously, that's very, uh, you know, crucial to the character of the Flash. I mean, it's pretty much the most pivotal moment in the Flash, Flash's character. But I don't know. You know, maybe it's just like that for me. Maybe it's like that for you. That that's that's kind of something I wish they would they would do away with. You know what I mean? It's kind of like Batman and his parents. Like, I don't need to see Martha and Thomas Wayne die over and over again in Crime Alley, you know? But The Flash obviously isn't as big of a character as Batman, and maybe most people aren't as familiar with his origin story. So, and we didn't really get it. We didn't get too much of that in the uh, Justice League. So, you know, I guess it's cool, but we'll see. So that's kind of why that's my least um, exciting trailer that we saw on DC Fandom. So number two is going to be Black Adam. Okay. Now it's kind of crazy because when they announced Black Adam, I really was like, yeah, whatever, dude. Like, I mean, Black Adam's a cool character, um, but he's a villain. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, he is a villain. And I am, if you've probably, if you've heard me talk about these kind of things before, I, I hate how Marvel constantly makes some of their cooler characters, which are villains, into anti heroes. It's always bugged me. Characters like 
Venom and Magneto. Um, they always have these like aspects to them where they they become really cool and really popular, and then they try to give them, you know, uh, make them a good guy in some aspects and make them to be understood. And I've always kind of hated that about Marvel. Um, I've always hated about the fact that like they're villains. There's very few villains in Marvel that stay villains. I mean, Loki has been a hero. Doctor Doom has been a hero. There's very few that have actually just been 100% villains. That's what I've always loved about DC. Most of their villains are always villains. Rarely do you have an anti-hero. Maybe Deathstroke, you could kind of say, is an anti-hero. Um, but he's usually still a villain, even in his solo series. you know. But Joker, obviously, never good. Uh, most of Batman's you know, rogues gallery, always bad. So Black Adam, you know, to kind of make him like a hero, I don't know. I wasn't too, you know, I'm not, I'm not crazy about it. And the fact that you're bringing Black Adam into a movie without Shazam as well kind of seems a little strange. You know, the Shazam movie was one of those surprising DCEU movies that was just awesome. Like no one really had super high expectations of it and it kind of blew everyone out of the water. So to see Black Adam come out and not actually have, uh, Shazam around is a bit of a letdown, but I still will reserve, you know, judgment on it and let the character kind of grow on its own. But obviously you have superpower uh, actor power in that and the rock. Okay. So we know that the rock is, he's going to be a main character. He's never going to be the side character in a movie necessarily. So black Adam as the title character, I guess makes sense. Now the trailer was great. I loved the trailer. I thought it was insane how Black Adam rises out of the uh, out of the lightning and then immediately flash fries some dude to death. It very much made me feel like I was watching Mortal Kombat. It looked like Raiden just like shooting lightning into someone and that person burning alive, which is wild too because that's the main character of your movie who just literally murdered someone in like the first opening scene that anyone's seen of this character, which was crazy. But it was dark. It looked cool. His costume looked looked legit from what you could see, you know, in the hood. And like the, the boots were very much like almost metal armor, like middle-aged. But um, I'm super excited for the supporting cast as well. You know, Hawkman is a great character who never gets enough play, in my opinion. Uh, Dr. Fate, with as Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate, that's going to be cool. That's going to be really, really cool. You know, we didn't get to see him actually put on the helmet. But holding the helmet and just kind of hanging out there for a while was great. You know, more magic, the better. And obviously, you very much have to have a magic kind of focus with characters like Black Adam and Shazam. So that's cool. Excited to see him. Excited to see Adam Smasher, who, you know, the JSA I'm not super, super familiar with. But I love seeing all these characters show up. We're going to have Cyclone, uh, Adriana Tomas. Um, it's going to be good. I'm really pretty pleasantly surprised and excited for black adam i really do just my only thing is i hope at the end we get some kind of you know hints that we're going to see a shazam black adam you know fight or movie or something right you know so they really need to tie in the lore we got a little bit of black adam lore in shazam we know that they were talking about him in it so i hope they flesh that out a little bit more you could even see in that opening scene when um, I, I believe it's Adriana Tomas comes and says the word Shazam and boom, he comes in that flash of lightning right before he flash fries that dude. So looks awesome. Looks great. Coming out July 29th, 2022. Uh, DC is going to have a great year. DC is going to have a great year of movies. 
Marvel's going to have a great year of movies. It's going to be a lot of fun in 2022. So to round it out, the last trailer, which everyone I probably is the most excited for, at least I would think, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people aren't, um, is the Batman movie. So this kind of touches on what I was talking about when I was talking about the flash, you know, like casting wise. So like I said, a lot of people didn't believe Heath Ledger was going to make a good Joker. And there's been a lot of talk about Robert Pattinson casting as Batman. And I get it. I do get it. I mean, everyone knows Robert Pattinson as the sparkly vampire from Twilight. And you know what? That's not his fault. The guy made a killer career off of that, uh, made a boatload of money, and it boosted his name to be a, a big actor. Um, but yeah, not really ideal when you're looking at a Batman casting. But you know, check out some of his other movies. Um, that recent movie, Tenet, he was great in. He hasn't actually been like a main star in a lot of movies lately. He's kind of been played the supporting role in a ton of movies. And he's been really like quietly awesome in these movies. So I actually have a lot of faith in Robert Pattinson as an actor. I think he's going to be a good Bruce Wayne and a good Batman. Now, I don't know how I'm going to rank him necessarily in my... Uh, my thoughts on on my Batman's ranking. Obviously, I think Christian Bale is the best Batman. I, I, I love Christian Bale. And part of it's just because the Christopher Nolan trilogy is so great. You know, the writing and the story is is perfectly paced, in my opinion. Even the third one, I love them all. So he'll always be my favorite Batman. Um, I'm a fan of Ben Affleck as Batman too. I think I thought he brought kind of like a a size and an aggression to Batman that we hadn't seen before. I mean Christian Bale, you know, was a fit dude. Uh, Michael Keaton, none of the other ones. Val Kilmer, all those guys. George Clooney, you never would have like really classified them as like buff or fit dudes. They're just you know your classic you know, good looking actors, I guess. You know, but Ben Affleck came into it just ripped and just messing dudes up in both the Batman versus Superman as well as the Justice League and everything. So I was super bummed to, you know, the DCEU to move on from Ben Affleck. Maybe there's still hope he'll show up again. You know, there's always those rumors. But um I, I enjoyed his Batman. But Robert Pattinson is Batman. I, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm very, very intrigued on how that's going to play out. He looks good in the trailers. Uh, he does have a little bit of an emo look to him at some times, but you know what? I'm kind of an emo guy. I like emo. It's one of my favorite genres of, mu of music. So more emo, the more the better. I'm actually a big fan of emo Toby Toby Maguire in Spider-Man 3. So I thought that shit was great. But the trailer for this movie looks awesome. It looks dark. It's different. Um, I love the take that they're kind of doing with the Riddler not making him so campy, riddle me this bullshit, stuff like that, you know. Don't get me wrong, the Jim Carrey Riddler was pretty great. It was pretty fantastic. But I love how they're kind of making him more of a serial killer who is just kind of fucking with people in a way, you know. Um I read that they they're basing him on the Zodiac killer. So I I think that's really cool. It's a different take on this villain that we actually haven't seen in a very long time in any kind of uh you know, mainstream media, like the cinema or TV or whatnot. We had a version of him in Gotham, which was a little different, but I, you know, I think it's going to be great. I, I, we haven't even seen many images of the Riddler either, which is kind of makes him even creepier. Um, James Gordon, Jeffrey Wright is James Gordon coming fresh off the watcher. Great casting. Love Jeffrey Wright. 
think he's going to be great. Selena Kyle, Catwoman, Zoe Kravitz looks amazing. Uh, she's a beautiful woman. She looks perfect for the character. Uh, I, I love how we're getting Catwoman right out the gate with Batman rather than having to wait down the line, kind of like we did with Dark Knight Rises. So everything about this movie looks awesome. A lot of people as well, the casting of Colin Farrell as Oswald Coppelpot, the Penguin, was a little odd for people. And it, and it is. I mean, you can't picture it. But when you saw the makeup as him as the Penguin, I, I can't even... I, I've looked at it and looked at it, and I can't recognize Colin Farrell. And I thought it looked great. I've been, play, I've been replaying the Batman Arkham series right now, um, which I always do every couple months when I get bored with any games out. I always come back to Arkham. And the Arkham version of the Penguin, you know, very much kind of the gangster. He's got that British accent. He's got the uh, broken bottle in his eye socket. Like this seemed very a la Arkham minus the British accent. Like I love the way the Penguin looks. He's a mobster. He looks like a, you know, classic crime kingpin. And I think it's going to be cool. I think it's really cool to have as an early villain for whatever this series of Batman is going to be. And I couldn't be more excited. Um, I love the tone. It's super dark. I've always said everything about DC that I loved is that it's dark and lean into it. I wish DC would lean into the darkness of their characters and their movies. Um, obviously, with Marvel, we get a lot of humor. And it, it's worked for Marvel. It very much has always worked for Marvel. But DC has always had the ability to be a little darker. And... That's why that Joss Whedon movie sucked so bad was because it tried to be a Marvel movie in the DC universe. And it just doesn't fit. It does not fit. DC has to lean into the darkness. And this Batman movie looks like it's embracing that wholeheartedly. So that's my take on the DC fandom, Flash, Black Adam, and Batman trailers that we received. So once again, let us know in our email or on our Instagram, the Comic-Con podcast, or the email, like I said, com the Comic-Con podcast at gmail.com, your takes on the different trailers. I'd love to hear it. We'd love to play them. Send us a voice message, what you thought. Uh, rip them to pieces. Tell us how much you love them. I would love to hear that. So moving on, got some news we're going to talk about. So Justin sent me an article, which is actually a really, really good article, but I can't go into it completely because it's a little aggressive, but you know, not really one to shy away from the topics, Justin and I. And last week we talked about uh, the John Kent Superman, the uh, him coming out as a bisexual in the Superman Son of Kal-El comics, right? So it's been a lot of talk. Um if you haven't listened to the previous episode, please do so, and you can get our take on that whole situation from Justin and I's opinion. Um, there's been a lot of room or not rumors. They basically came out and said issue five coming out will be the uh, the first kiss between Jay Nakamura and Jonathan Kent. So on that note, there was an article from bleedingcool.com that kind of focuses on the whole comics gate group. So to give you a little background, if you're not familiar with ComicsGate, ComicsGate is a, uh, a group of writers, illustrators, artists, people in the comic community, um, anyone who loves comics, creates comics that kind of believes over the past couple of years, there's been um, straying from classic comics into more like political agendas and uh, social agendas in comics and kind of 
you know, uh, I don't know how to explain this out really. I don't want to piss anyone off, but like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I agree with Comicsgate, but they're saying that, you know, it, like the left agenda into comics, right? So things like making homosexual characters, changing the race of characters, uh, pushing political agendas and different themes in comics. That's kind of their big thing, right? Okay. That's what Comicsgate kind of fights against and uh, dislikes in comics. Now, on the reverse, then you have the other side who calls them racists and bigots and that they target women and people of color and LGBT folk in the comic book industry. Um, as with most things, the truth lies in the middle, right? So yes, comics gate can be a little aggressive, right? And they, sometimes they say some absurd, absurd stuff, but I think they're genuine, like they're what the meaning is. It, like I, I like I understand that. I'm not saying I necessarily agree with it. I understand it, but sometimes they can come out and uh, be a little bit too much. And the other side as well, you know, the other side claims to be very open and accepting, but it seems like they're not really open and accepting if you disagree with their opinions. So they attack and always go to the old fail safe. Hey, you're a racist. You're a bigot, blah, blah, blah. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of their comments have been racist and, and, you know, a little bit of bigots as well. So anyway, one of the main colorists, uh, Gabe El Taib, I believe is how you pronounce his name for Superman or Superman, son of Kal-El basically came out and said he will be ending his contract with DC that he's over this whole thing. He wants to move on from the Superman stuff. I guess they had a four and a half hour lime live stream, the whole comics gate crew, where they just talked about bisexual Superman. Um, it's you know I haven't watched it. I'm just reading this article that says that they spent a lot of the time making gay jokes. Um, they talk about predicting that once gay characters and that has kind of like run its course, that then they'll move into bringing pedophiles into it. You know, it's kind of slippery slope, slippery slope type stuff. But you know, they kind of go into it. So Gabe El Taib basically comes out and says that he's done with DC. He doesn't, he wants to move on from it. He doesn't want to play this game anymore of um, changing these characters. He doesn't believe that these characters that were created in the past should be altered. Okay. And you know what? I, I don't disagree with him, but I think he's forgetting that Jonathan Kent wasn't created ages ago. He's a relatively new character. So like we stated last week, you know, if you want to make Jonathan Kent bisexual, cool. I, you know, I don't really care. Um, I'd prefer you to do it with a newer character rather than let's say turning Clark Kent into, you know, bisexual, something like that. So I don't really agree with Gabe El Taib's uh, indignance here that they're messing with old characters, but it's very um, aggressive behavior from comics gate, you know, which is kind of par for the course for them. You know, that's kind of, part of the thing. Um, they very much, I think, are trying to you know, agitate and push the envelope a little bit with some of the things they say. But like I stated earlier, you know, a lot of times with both sides, the truth is in the middle, right? Everyone goes a little bit too much to the right, too much to the left, and we lose sight of what the actual argument or the actual point is. So check it out, uh, bleedingcool.com. If you want to check out that uh, that article. It's it's a, it's an interesting read. It'll give you a better breakdown of it. I'm not going to go into the whole comics gate and break it that all down for you, but it's interesting read. I mean, it's it's worth understanding what uh, you know, people are saying out there. So, check it out.
And it touches on what we talked about last week. So once again, send me your opinions on ComicsGate to the Comic-Con podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear that as well. And that should be kind of funny too. So want to talk about some Marvel stuff. So Marvel's got an interesting 2022 coming. A lot of changes coming out in Marvel. Marvel's. I'm going to read you this article from CBR.com. Marvel kicks off 2022 in a big way. January sees She-Hulk return to her solo series glory. Elektra continue to grow in her role as Daredevil. And the Fantastic Four facing their biggest challenge ever. All while Tony Stark's new role as Iron God brings cosmic calamity to Earth. Meanwhile, the question of whether Peter Parker will retake the role of Spider-Man from Ben Riley may be resolved. The maestro declares World War M on a post-apocalyptic planet, and Wolverine's many lives and deaths are explored in a pair of miniseries that will dig deep into the X-Men's past and future. So a lot of cool stuff coming our way in 2022. We know there's been a lot of change in 2021 with the comics, obviously um, with the mutants. All the Krakoa stuff has really changed the landscape with the mutants. we got a lot of stuff coming up with Inferno that should be changing it as well. So it'll be interesting to see Wolverine and what happens with the X-Men moving forward next year. Um, one of the coolest things was the whole Daredevil being in prison storyline. I loved it. This That run is an amazing run for Daredevil. And Elektra kind of stepping into his shoes has been really, really cool. Um, you know, I... I wasn't like super excited about it when I first heard about it. And then as the books go on, I've been reading it, it. It's great. So I'm excited to see that a little bit more. It's fun to see her character try to fill the shoes of Matt Murdock and play the role of Daredevil. I don't really read much Spider-Man. I do know that they're pushing Ben Riley pretty hard. This seems like to me more Clone Wars bullshit, but I don't know, man. Maybe you Spider-Man fans are excited. The Maestro stuff has been good. I've loved the little mini series, Maestro, the Maestro War and Pax, and a World War M should be pretty cool as well. So, um, and then obviously we're getting some She-Hulk solo. You know, Marvel would be dumb to not, you know, jump on the wagon of promoting their character before the Disney Plus show comes out. So, pushing She-Hulk is a great idea for Marvel. We've seen her a lot, very prominent in the Avengers run, the Jason Aaron Avengers current run right now. So that's been really cool too. Um, Fantastic Four, I do read as well. Um, it's been okay. It's 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 been okay. It's not a lot to speak on. Fantastic Four. It's it's pretty average, but you know we'll see how it goes. And uh, I don't really read Iron Man, so I'm not sure Tony Stark's new role as Iron God, but him bringing cosmic calamity to Earth. Something I mean, sounds about right. That's kind of what Tony Stark does. He gets really powerful, usually fucks shit up, and then causes problems. So. Cool. I mean, hey, I'm excited for 2022. Some of those books I might pick up and check out some of the stuff I don't usually read. And uh, I'm excited, man. More comics, the better. So kind of want to round out this before we get to the end here. And I want to talk about Venom to Let There Be Carnage. Okay. Justin and I, were going to talk about this together. Um, you're probably going to get Justin's opinion on a later show as well. I'm pretty sure we both agree on this. and. You know, so us talking together might just have like fueled fire and, and kept us going and riled us up. But Venom 2 Let There Be Carnage was complete garbage. It was horrendous. Um, I didn't like Venom number one. I thought the first Venom was dog shit. Um, once again, like I said, I don't like the turning of anti-hero or villain characters into anti-heroes and then try to give them their own movies. 
A Venom movie without Spider-Man is strange to me. I don't know how you go back to that. And we'll talk about that post credit scene here. But kind of want to give you my opinion on Venom 1. I just... You know, Donny Cates obviously wrote the what's going to be kind of like the the best run of Venom that we've ever had. Really, I mean, it's really the the longest and most like character defining run we've had on Venom at any time. So he kind of brought out this whole idea of Venom, or I mean, Eddie Brock kind of talking to the Venom symbiote. We saw that on the screen in Venom One. Um, it was kind of strange. I didn't. I thought it was goofy. Um, I don't like how big of a loser Eddie Brock is. Like he just is unlikable. Like unlikable. At least Eddie Brock in the in the comics was kind of cool and you know hard, and he was kind of a tough guy. But Eddie Brock in the Venom movies, Tom Hardy's character, he's just a dumbass. Like I don't know. I can't stand him. He just says goofy ass shit. He's unlikable. And the end of Venom One with the carnage. And the uh, that the ugly wig that they had for him for Woody Harrelson. Ugh, I mean, Jesus, dude! It was great to see that we we're going to get Carnage, but once again, now we have a character that only fights himself. Like it's just like Venom One. He was fighting what Riot, more Venom symbiotes. Venom Two. He's fighting another symbiote, Carnage. I mean, it, I think it would have done better to move away from that and try to develop some kind of a storyline away from symbiotes. Look, we've had two movies of symbiotes and you really have gotten no explanation of symbiotes. I mean, you get that? That's weird. Like, all we know is, hey, yo, these aliens came to Earth and boy, they like to fuck shit up, you know? And one of them's a serial killer. So, but we don't know really anything. Like, they've kind of talked about it a little bit here and there and hinted at things. But in terms of mythology, we don't get much at all. So then we move into, you know, Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage. They fixed the wig. Woody Harrelson looked better as a Cletus Cassidy character. Um, the origin of them was pretty decent. I guess it was okay. You know, I feel like they could have spent a little bit more time and made him a little bit more sadistic and like feel more like the serial killer that we know as Cletus Cassidy. Um, I wasn't upset about the whole kind of like love story with him and Shriek. You know, that that's okay, I guess. But to be honest, it kind of took away from Cletus Cassidy. It doesn't make him look as insane and a psycho killer when at the very last minute he's struggling to save this woman he hasn't seen in like you know 20 years or whatever. So I don't know. I, I thought that they probably could have left that out and made Shriek just more of a, you know, like a, a villain associate. Didn't have to be necessarily his love interest. Uh, once again, Venom and, and Eddie Brock fighting with each other all the time, eating chickens and tearing up their apartment, which apparently this guy was on the rise in this movie. I, I don't know. His apartment looked like shit. It was the same shitty ass apartment he had in the first movie. Like, dude, get a new apartment. Like if, if your symbiote's tearing shit up, buy a better one that's like, you know, more industrial or something. I don't, I don't even know. But it just, I couldn't stand it. Honestly, I'm watching the movie and even my wife during halfway through the movie, she's like, is it just me or is this movie bad? And I was like, no, this movie, it's bad. This is not a good movie. Um, this seems like the old comic book movies we used to have in the, the 90s and the early 2000s, which at the time were great. Okay. But we've moved past that. You know, like we have a higher quality of comic book movies now and these ones do not cut it. So the whole movie, you have Carnage um, tearing shit up. The fight scenes were cool. You know, it was cool to see Venom and Carnage fight each other. I, I thought that was that was definitely one of the um, the pluses to the movie. 
Um, I wish they would have slowed some of the CGI down. I, I wish we would have seen more um, like specific views of like, you know, Carnage's like typical battle axe hand and the different weapons he turns his hands into because that was always so cool with him. You know what I mean? I, I wish they would have slowed that down and made that a little bit more prominent. But the fight scenes were cool. Um, you know, I liked the introduction of the Shriek character in a way, I guess, was kind of cool. You know, kind of dangerous, though. You're kind of skirting the edges there of uh, mutants because in the comics, Shriek's a mutant. So that's cool. That always gets me a little excited. Like, oh, are they actually going to you know talk about her being a mutant or not? And then, you know, spoiler alert, I work, work like three weeks past this movie. So hopefully you've seen it by now. And honestly, it's such garbage. I really shouldn't even say spoiler alert but i did also like the introduction of patrick mulligan who we know goes on to become toxin uh we got like a little a little brief like um hint at maybe that's what we're gonna see when his eyes flashed like blue or the different color there at the end of the movie but um i thought that was pretty cool but um all in all really the only thing that was worth seeing in that movie was the end credit scene which everyone had kind of been spoiled with so everyone kind of knew it was coming to be honest I had waited so long to see this movie. I just had been busy and wasn't able to see it. And the only reason I really went and saw it was because I was like, okay, I got to see that uh, end credit scene and and see what it's all about. So, you know, the end credit scene is what everyone knows it is. We see J.K. Simmons, you know, playing J. Jonah Jameson, revealing that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. So we see Tom Holland in there. We also see, uh, you know, a change in the world. Eddie Brock's in like, some hovel and like looks like Asia somewhere. And then all of a sudden he's in like a resort beach. So, you know, it all leads to this theory that because of what's going to happen in Spider-Man far from home or sorry, no way home that the multiverse gets affected and we're going to get this blending of the two universes. So cool, I guess, you know, uh, I hope it's Marvel that takes the reins on any movie that has Venom and Spider-Man in it because if Sony does, oh God, I don't even know, man. It, I, I don't trust it. And I really hope Morbius isn't going to be like Venom because I, I won't be able to do it. I won't be able to do this little Sony universe if they're all like the Venom movie. They were just, it, it was just bad. I'm sorry. It's bad. And that's not even like, you know, I know I also always talk about not being a Spider-Man fan, but like I always go into these movies with high hopes. Like I want these things to succeed because even the smaller characters will lend to bigger movies and collaborations and stuff. It's all good. But when you have a big character like Venom, like a massive fan favorite character that you can do so much with and you strike out, you literally set comic book movies back like 10 years. It just really sucks because now people start talking, Ooh, do we got to retcon this and do all that? And it messes everything up. So I don't know, man. They need to fix it. They need to clean it up. They need to get some better writers in there. They need to let Marvel take over. Sony just needs to get rid of it. Like, sell that shit. Make your money and give it back to Marvel because you can't do it. You're just not hacking it. So that's my breakdown on Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage. Um, maybe wait till it comes out. If you haven't seen it in the theaters, maybe wait till it comes out on video or someplace you can stream it. Um, that's what I would probably suggest because it is not necessarily worth the experience in the theater. So that's all I got this week. I'm going to round out as we always do with what we are currently reading. So obviously there's no we this week on what we are currently reading, but I don't know. What did I read this week that really appealed to me? Um, 
I don't feel like I have any Halloween theme. I know we were going to try to stay Halloween-y theming this month, but since Justin's not here, I might just have to break away from that and cheat a little bit. So um, what did I like this week? I liked, you know what issue I liked this week? I liked Phoenix Song Echo number one. So if you've been following Jason Aaron's run on the Avengers, we recently saw the Phoenix Force come back to Earth. They basically had a battle royale between all these different characters on who was going to house the new Phoenix Force. And Echo seemed to win out and get the Phoenix Force. So we're having like a five-part miniseries where Echo is trying to come to terms with how she's going to handle Phoenix, what it means to be the Phoenix, and honestly kind of like how she came about the power because she lost to Namor, but yet the Phoenix power still chose her. So we see some really cool interactions with uh, mutants. And as you know, I love me some mutants. So the Phoenix is all, you cannot talk about the Phoenix without talking to the mutants. So there's cool interactions between Forge and Echo, which definitely are going to play out as we go along this. Um, got to see Chamber from Generation X. We haven't really seen him since the, the Krakoa age, which I thought that was really cool. Um, we also get a new character. Um, I think his name is Riverwalker. He is the grandson of someone who had like kind of taught echo in the past and she goes to see the grandfather but he's not around anymore and this guy river walker has a power to travel in time through your lineage okay which doesn't make much sense but was kind of cool and he hints at the fact that um maya lopez's lineage is very very important as to why she was selected to be the phoenix force and someone's trying to attack her her lineage from the past to erase her now. So really cool first issue. I'm excited to read this as it goes forward. Um, I love, you know, Echo as the Phoenix. It's different. It's kind of something new. And I think it's going to end up being pretty cool. So check that out. Uh, that's all I got this week. This is episode 41, solo episode from The Manimal. Next week, Justin should be back. I hope so, because it's not that easy doing this by yourself. You're just kind of talking and my throat's getting a little dry and I'm pretty thirsty. So that's all I got this week. Like always, you know where you can find us. Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM. You can find us on Instagram, Milton the Manimal, Nemesis Prime, or the Comic-Con Podcast on Instagram, as well as please send any questions, voice memos and whatnot to the Comic-Con Podcast at Gmail. Hell, send us some hate mail if you want to as well. It could be kind of funny. We'll probably read it anyway. So... That's all I got this week, episode 41. Thanks for joining me. I will see you next week, and you guys have a good one. Peace.